We're going to get started. This segment, we are continuing our third quarter conversation around the real estate market, and we're going to dive into commercial assets here. And for us, commercial means, very, means something very specific to us. Commercial is a large area as a whole, but for us, we are talking about medical space. Uh, we're talking about just general office space that we have, and we also have a little bit of government space in there too. So we've bought a good amount of all of those over the past really three or four years. So we're going to kind of touch base on those uh, segments, what we're seeing and how things are going. And to paint a little bit of a picture of, of, of the actual property type, you know, we're talking about single story office, maybe two or three story office, but very few of our properties have elevators. They're usually exterior entrance with some staircases. I joke about that with our management team a lot. I think we have like a dozen of them, but right. I'm like, oh, we don't have any. They're like, no, we have a lot of them. Like, but in general, we do not have like 20 story elevator buildings. Yeah. Surface park. park, no parking decks and, um, you know, fairly basic, you know, basic needs office space. Yeah. Yeah. That's really been our bread and butter. And this is more suburban. It is not, not downtown or urban core uh, type assets. Exactly. So, so I think our biggest uh, kind of revelation or biggest activity this quarter has been that we have signed a ton of leases. You know, we have, uh, in general, mostly all of our assets are very well occupied. I mean, we started buying stuff that was 60, 70% occupied, and now almost all of our stuff is 90% or above. Uh, we're signing leases really in all types of spaces that we've had, from medical to general office, you know, we're seeing everything. We signed a government lease with the city of Chattanooga, and that one, you know, that was up in Midtown. We did that during the closing of that deal, but you know, it's twenty-two thousand square foot lease. So we're seeing really demand all across the spectrum of uh, tenants looking to be in these types of assets that we have. Right. Again, going going back to our asset type, our, our philosophy around it was we we wanted to focus on office buildings where people lived and that was convenient to them, that basically improved their lifestyle. Yeah. And what we're seeing is that people want to lease in those spaces and want to be in those spaces. We're not, we're not signing 30, 40, 50,000 square feet with square feet leases with Google or, uh, or Amazon yeah, or anything like that. That's not the strategy, but most of our stuff too is it's like you're saying, it's right around where people live, even our office building right here. Right. And it's only a couple of minutes from people's houses that live in this area and Johnson square or the crossing center, or these other assets, you know, they're surrounded by predominantly residential. Yeah, single-family houses and then retail that services all the neighborhoods. Yeah. So within that space, you know, we're seeing demand just like at the Crossing Center. We had probably one of what I thought was going to be one of our more challenging assets to lease. Uh, within the Crossing Center, it's one building. It's the back building. It's the, it's the ground floor. You know, like that's the most challenging space to rent. And we actually leased that space before the tenant moved out. I was nervous when... We had a 7,000 square foot tenant that moved out. Yeah. We released the bulk of that space, not all of it, but we released the bulk of it at a higher rental rate. And we did so before the other tenant even left. Um, so it's pretty exciting when we're, we're seeing a continued strong demand across the board. And almost all of our stuff is around 15 to 20% above our pro forma lease expectations. And many of these things, when we were buying them, I always say the normal was more like the 2% rent escalation mm -hmm. was standard. Yeah, one and a half to 2% in general. Yeah, now we're not signing anything less than 3%, right. 4% in a lot of cases. And we also have CAM reimbursements that are coming through. Yeah, so most of the, most of the, a lot of the value add that we see when we're buying one of these properties 
is that their full service leases and really all the all the operational expenses, including utilities, are on the landlord. So that's why on certain buildings we've looked at solar, we looked at water reduction, all these things. Um, as we convert the leases over and they come up for renewal or new leases, we always put in CAM, which is which is common area maintenance that we can push through the expenses to the tenant. And they can help, you know, yeah. help us conserve our costs as well as uh, share the burden of them. Yeah, that CAM is a huge part because we're taking it really costs you that are uh, exposed more easily to inflation. Exactly. That are then, that are then passed through. So uh, challenges though, you know, our government leases, they don't, uh, they don't do the whole cam. The government does not do the whole cam conversation. So those leases are full service. We are running into some challenges uh, with those leases uh, because it does uh, fully expose us to uh, the inflationary costs or the challenges associated with performing maintenance which is manpower and the cost of goods. Yeah, and supplies, access to supplies. Yeah, access to supplies <laughs> is a huge one. You know, we have uh, one of our assets that is, that is not an easy one to manage, but we just bought the, the Duke Medical Facility. It's a 28-week lead time to get an HVAC system. It's like we bought that knowing there's vacant space, knowing, hey, we can't lease this until we get an HVAC system. I mean, we ordered it as soon as we could. Not really going to order that stuff before we... Close. We want to make sure we buy the building first. But 28 weeks is a long time. You yes. know, we're, that's essentially guaranteed it, it will be vacant for that whole time frame until we can get our mechanicals in there. Uh, we had other issues at our, one of our VA clinics where an AC system went out and we couldn't get it replaced timely. We had to buy a bunch of small systems to kind of piecemeal it for the short term while we were waiting for our main system to come in and... It was challenging. Yeah, far from ideal. <laughs> yeah. And it, back on our industrial conversation that we, we did earlier too, it's, you know, that's why a lot of, a lot of space is needed because people are trying to store their own stuff to deliver also so we can buy it and put it into spaces. But even us, I mean, we're really, everyone is facing uh, a dilemma of getting that material stuff. It's not, hasn't really improved no. <laughs> recently. So with that, I mean, Operationally, we're looking to do as much as we can in-house. There's only so much we can do. We only have so many people and, and manpower, but really look to see like, what bigger projects can we do? Can we do them in-house or how can we plan our expenses so we're not as exposed on that, on that side of things? So let's talk a little bit about why we think uh, we're signing all these leases. Why are companies, I mean, these are companies that are growing. They're signing new leases in a place they weren't before. So right. we're, seeing, we're seeing companies that need more space. Right, and we're seeing, I mean, not only are we seeing that, but we're seeing, you know, the majority of renewals, the vast majority of renewals are signing extensions. They're signing higher rates. They're signing escalations and higher pass-throughs, basically further validating that they need their space and so a handful of them, you know, with expansions. Um, so uh, we're, you know, you know with, with what's going on in kind of the general market and, you know, there's a lot of theories out there with future use of office space. You know, we're seeing a, a further commitment from companies, especially small companies, that they need their space. So, Dave, why don't you lead, <laughs> walk us You're through gonna that You're going to kick idea. that one yeah. over. <laughs> I think, you know, one, commercial space, there's a lot of types, right? So ours, like you're saying, predominantly smaller, more suburban-based. It's vastly different than, like, urban towers or a lot of these most of the stuff that dominates the news is really the big players in office space. And that's so far from the reality that we're operating in. It's just not even really comparable. Um, but so for our, our groups, it's like we've got companies that 
are probably seeing the future being more expensive than now. And they're saying, we're going to try and lock in some of our, some of our costs, make sure we have a lease so we know where we can be. Uh, we don't want to get our rent raised on us too much in the, in the near term. So let's sign our lease now. And we're, and take we're, our space. We generally see that you know rent relative to the rest of the expenses is a, is a relatively small line. I'm usually give or take 10% of a company's operating expenses or even lower than that. Um, in the restaurant space, we see that's 8%. Um, and, but it is a place that they can look to fix their costs that, you know, if you think about a restaurant, you have rising wages, you have rising food costs, you have rising uh, utilities, but they can fix their rent. So they're, they're, you know, people are looking to fix their costs just like we do when yeah. we're looking at, when we're looking at debt and interest rates. So, so we try and, we've been trying to fix our debt. <laughs> we've been talking about interest rates going up for longer than <laughs> I can remember. Years, yeah. <laughs> right. And we're like, man, we got to get this fixed debt because, you know, it's going to go up and six, seven, eight years later, they're still low. And now they're, we're starting to see that rise. So it's kind of like if you predict something for long enough, eventually <laughs> you'll get right. there. <laughs> hey, we're right. <laughs> eventually you're going to be right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think companies are really looking to say, we want to make sure we lock in our, our, our costs now and don't see it higher in the future. Right. And in return for that, it's somewhat putting the inflationary risk onto us as a landlord. So then we look and say, where can we fix our costs? And we look at our debt as our single one biggest place to fix yeah. costs. And our, our going in, you guys have seen our performers, you've seen our offer memorandums. You know, we always present five-year fixed debt and what the rate is. And yes, we pay a little bit more for that versus a one-year fixed rate or a three-year fixed rate, but it locks our costs and it aligns with the, with the business plan of the, yeah. of the property. Yeah, so what we're going to see with that scenario is our rental rates are going to kind of creep up. So they'll creep up. Uh, over the years as we do this. But if, if inflation stays way higher than normal, you know, our rates could be behind the market three, four, or five years from now. But it's also when we're coming for a renewal uh, with that tenant. So we would have to renegotiate to a higher rent. Uh, or we have our loan that's coming up in some cases five years, some cases seven or 10 years uh, that we're looking at in the future. So in the short term, or in the near term, one to three years, we're seeing increase in yield because we have fixed debt and rising revenues from, uh, from our tenants. And then that'll put us in a position when we're out four or five years where if we need to do a market rate adjustment and bring someone higher up, it's like that'll happen. We saw that a lot. We talked about that in industrial. Yes. It's changed a lot. We, it's a whole business plan in industrial. Yeah. We've even seen that though in office, specifically if we look at the station when we were first looking at this, uh, this asset you know, almost four years ago now, we were looking at rental rates that were in the low teens. And now we're signing rental rates that are in the high teens, which is a 50% increase over what our pro forma was. Uh, and that's suburban, one, two-story office, nothing fancy, um, usable space that, uh, that you can execute a, a small business out of. Right. Um, so people looking to lock that cost, I think that's a big part of uh, where things are. But now kind of the conversation is also shifting to like, what does it look like if there's a recession? I think the majority of people are projecting that, especially with what the Fed is doing. Their goal is to slow things down. Slowing things down also means recession, right? When you have negative, negative growth or any kind of slowdown. But I don't think that means people stop going to work. No. So I think, you know, in those environments, you're still, people are still actually doing stuff. Some people are working harder in those situations. Um, but they have a, for the most part, more affordable office space that they're going to be doing it out of. The next one, if we think about like what's going to happen in the future, what opportunities we see, 
it's kind of this work from home. That's a, I mean, since COVID, that's been like the dominant question in commercial real estate is, you know, no one's going to leave their home anymore and everything's going to get wiped out or, or, or some kind of, you know, overdramatic response to that. But, you know, we have a little bit of a different view of the work from home or, or what it means. But well, you and I might have a skewed view with the seven children amongst us that are at the <laughs> house. Like, I don't want to be at home working. I can't get anything done there. Yeah, it's like, you know, that my house design, my office is right off the living room and kitchen. And it's like the worst place you could put an office. There's no way you could get any work done there. Yeah, the walls kind of shake. If anyone's in the house, the wall's shaking while I'm in the office. It's the same problem. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's not, not ideal for us. But um, I think work from home too, you kind of have this, as soon as an employee is, is work from home or a company's gone like, hey, everyone is now remote. It's like remote opens the door to, well, there's a difference. There's work from home where you're at home and you're working. And then there's remote where you could be in a different city. You could be in a different time zone. You could be anywhere. And now you've really exposed yourself to a global workforce. And a remote job is probably never coming back to the office, right? Like that is a position now that as an organization, if you've committed, hey, this role is remote, you could hire that person anywhere. It could be in Australia or South Africa or the Philippines or any place. Uh, and really, you're looking at talent all over the world in that position. So those jobs are probably not coming back to the office really ever. Um, that's a concern from a, the employee or the team member standpoint, though, if you know, you're now going to like a global competition standpoint. I think with the Fed raising rates, you know, one thing they're doing is, is also we've seen a surge in the value of the dollar, which means it's cheaper to buy stuff. Not here. Not here, right? So that's even, you know, with about a 20, I think the dollar's rallied about 20%. And that means it's 20% cheaper to hire someone in, in a foreign country to do your remote job than it is to have them here. Um, that could go a lot of directions in the future, but I think remote is remote forever. I think work from home, a flexible arrangement where you got people that are doing more things. I think a lot of employers are open-minded to the flexible work arrangement. It's going to be here. Which is great for the type of office space we're providing is really, I mean, for lack of a better word, kind of no frills. Um, you know, basic work, you know, need-based office space. Um, not too different than the affordable housing that we have. Yeah, and, it's um, pretty much the same business plan as the affordable that, housing. You know, Dave and I need to leave our house. We have seven children. He has three. I have four. Just we running don't have around that. Yeah, not together. <laughs> and uh, and we, we have to get out and get some work done. So, um, I, you know, the need for that is still, we want to be near our house. We want to be our houses and be near in the neighborhoods that we, you know, that we're, that we're in. Um, so we think there's plenty of demand for the type of office space we're in. Yeah. So that's part of why we think, you know, our space is doing pretty well right now. Um, again, there's other spaces that we don't really know too much about. The urban stuff is not what we're doing. Big box stuff is, is not what we're doing. Um, but those, you know, that's a lot of what's in the news. So our space Though, I mean, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing very good demand for the suburban one or two-story office space. And we've had a lot of success with it over the next one to two years. And, you know, we still see that we're going to be able to maintain occupancy and, and probably still grow that occupancy in this time frame. And then even more telling of demand is, you know, one of our QOZ assets, we had, we had spec space that we, you know, taking classic offices and opening up the floor plan pre-COVID and then COVID happens and it's like, wow, nobody wants an office, an open floor plan office anymore. We've got some. And <laughs> we finally actually started leasing some of that 
uh, here at the station deal, which is exciting. We've, you know, we leased half of a floor and we have another half of that same floor that uh, we're actively negotiating someone taking all that space. So we're seeing a good amount of demand uh, and it's really, it's continued to pick up over this year compared to last year. Yeah, so all in all, we like the assets we have and uh, we'll continue to invest in them and yeah. enjoy their yield. Yeah, opportunities going forwards though, you know, it's like, where do we see opportunities to buy more commercial office? They seem pretty limited. You know, if there's a specific tenant use, if we have medical, that's certainly something we're looking at that's interesting. Those are trading at higher values. We're still seeing a, a huge amount of medical demand. So if we can find, that's like Duke Medical. It's a medical type asset. And we've got some vacancy. We can hopefully lease to another medical group. That'll be a very good value add story in that situation. But there's just not a lot of those. Right. And, and also looking at the same opportunities that we're looking at in industrial, which is if there's an opportunity to move with an operator, expand with an operator, negotiate a lease with an operator to create value, we're always looking for that. Um, as, we, as we start building our dental fund, um, we're, we're definitely going to be looking at medical space for our dental practitioners yeah. for expansion and better use of their space. Yeah, but none of those are just like, hey, let's just buy generically in the market and right. watch it go up. Right. That's... That's not really a viable business plan right now. It's got to be a specific situation where you're creating value with a, with a tenant. This is relationship-driven, and you have to be able to do something that is quantifiably making value. But, yep. All right, that's where uh, we're at on the commercial space. We have one more update. We're going to have Andrew Ziffrin here. We're going to be talking about the retail space. But overall, thank you for watching, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.